0: Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight?
1: Well, you are
0: here. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being here. Welcome to week three of CLT. We are glad you're here. Um, This week's topic is going to be accountability and personal and missional discipleship. We have uh, Pastor Mike is back
1: again with us tonight, and Pastor David will do the second half. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way so we can get this teaching started.
0: You guys have a great night. Take it all in, and God bless you. Awesome. Am I on? You hear me? Check, 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 check. Yeah, no, it was just working a second ago. Technology, man, it's like it's it's uh, check, 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 check. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It's going up there. There we go. I was getting ready to go home. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much. You are incredible. You are so amazing. We're so thankful for you, God. And we're thankful for you for what you're doing through not only uh, Calvary Chapel Sebastian, but all through Sebastian, God. Um, and God, as we just come tonight, Lord, just to learn these principles, God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit just come upon us. Um, God, I just pray that I'm emptied of myself, Lord. Um, and just fill me up, God. And Lord, just thank you that we can draw everything from you, God. And Lord, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And we all said, "Amen." Amen. So um, it's great to be back down. I appreciate uh, you all having me here. Mind if I sit down? All right. Appreciate you all having me back down. And um, this chair is like kind of like a '70s chair. I like this. It's pretty cool. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about some stuff with with discipleship, and um, really going to talk about about being missional and about personal discipleship. And so. Are you, guys, are, are, are you okay with, like, deep teachings? Are you okay with that? Like deep, like deep teachings, are you okay with that? Are you sure? Nobody's shaking their head. Okay, do people like surface teaching or deep teaching? Deep, all right, because we're going to go deep tonight. So you're right, I said, don't, don't shoot the messenger, okay? It's God's word, but uh, so what we're going to do is let's, let's do this. Let's turn to, we all know these verses, let's turn to Matthew 18 excuse me, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, and we're going to go through 18 through 20. And when somebody gets there, if you're ready, why don't you share the verse and you, 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 uh, you share it. And this is Jesus speaking, and he's giving something here to everybody, um, to the disciples before he ascends. And we've read these verses, so if anybody's ready, we're going to go to Matthew 18, excuse me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So why don't somebody read that? Not at once. Okay, go ahead, Pastor. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them with the
2: Father, the Son, and the Holy teaching them to obey a written
0: commandment. Okay, so this is called the Great What? The Great Commission. So he says here, number one, go and make disciples is what he says. Then he says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, goes on, he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here's the question is, let's just say for right now, all of us are together and we're in front of Jesus. And we're in front of Jesus and Jesus says this to us. What do we do with that? Okay, so it's the question. So Jesus, we're right in front of Jesus, and he says this to us, and then sometimes later he's going to ascend, he's going to leave, and all of a sudden we have these verses here. And so the question is like, what do we do with these verses? We, we, anybody ever read these verses before? Probably one of the most common verses that we've seen. Well, listen to this article that I read about um, why does the church exist? This is an article I read, and it's by uh, Wyn Arm. It's a, a church consulting group, and they surveyed uh, 1,000 churches and their members, and they asked this question. This is the question they asked. Why does the church exist? That's what they asked in this survey. Of the members surveyed, 89% of them said the church's purpose is to take care of my family and our needs. That was 89% that said that in this survey. Okay, over 1,000 churches. Now, does the church help and take care of needs and things like that? Absolutely, all right? But this was the primary number one answer that they gave. Only 11% said the purpose of the church was to win the world for Jesus Christ. 11%. Then the pastors of the same church were asked the same question, why do churches exist? Amazingly, the results were just the opposite. 90% said that we were, the church was here to win people to Christ, to win the world to Christ, and 10% said it was the care uh, to care for the needs of the members. So think about that. There's like a disconnect between these, these churches that were surveyed between what the pastors were thinking, and what the congregants were thinking. There's a disconnect. Why could that be a disconnect? Maybe, the, maybe they don't teach about this great commission that we just talked about. Is that possible? That we're supposed to go to win the world for Christ? I mean, Jesus was really clear when he said this. He wasn't saying, "Oh, just oh, maybe, just go do it," or, "You know, if you feel like you want to do, it, go ahead and do it." He's pretty crystal clear, and we've all heard these verses. What's amazing is I also got some more stats. I want to show you some pictures. So, here are the largest uh, main world religions in the United excuse me in the world. Number one is Christianity. Okay, 32.5 percent. Islam is next, 21.5. This is a couple of years back. Hinduism, 14%, non-religious, 16%. Matter of fact, the fastest growing faith in the United States is no faith. That's the fastest growing faith in the United States is no faith, by the way. So here we have it, Christianity, 32%, and there's something like 2.1 billion uh, Christians in the world. And if we were to take this stat and take it across the world, imagine what that number would look like not knowing that we're supposed to win the world for Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go to the next stat. Next one is here. This is in America. This is how they affiliate. So uh, identify as Christians. 73% of the United States identifies as Christians. Not sure. I don't don't know what I am. Okay, so that's a small percentage. Other 6%, no faith, 20%. That's the number that's really starting to rise in, in the United States. So here... Christians in America say that 73% say that they're, or excuse me, 73% identify as Christians here in the United States. So I got a question: If all of us were together and we were to go on a mission trip to some faraway place that they never heard the term Christian, never never seen a Christian. And we all go together, we're on a mission trip. So we land and we get there and we start to share the gospel about Jesus Christ. And with that, we know we have our Bibles, we're teaching, you know, about Jesus, we're sharing about Jesus. One person comes to faith out of this the trip. Is that successful? One person? Absolutely. Because if one person is what? The angels are what? Rejoicing. All right. So one person comes to faith. So that one person comes to faith. We have to leave. We leave them Bibles. They, they, uh, they all have Bibles now in their languages, and we fly out. We come back to the United States. Then about a year, almost a year later, we say, hey, we've raised some money to maybe bring one of those people back to the United States, and we say, hey, well, let's bring back the first person that we led to the Lord, and we're going to bring that person back, all right? So that person over there has been doing Bible studies, the, the village has been expanded. They're all becoming Christ followers. Other villages are becoming Christ followers, and they're seeing this amazing work of God. They're reading their Bibles. They're studying it. They're living it out. They're walking it out. They're, like, eating it up. They're like, oh, my goodness. They're like, this is how, this is how you do life. They're totally changed. Now, when we bring that one person back to the United States, and on the plane ride back, Steve Miller, you're with them, and he goes, Steve, you mean the United States is 73%? They live like this? What do you say? You mean they don't? You taught us this. This is what we've been living, but we don't have never seen the Bible and we've been studying it. We've been living like this. Does that match up to that? It's getting kind of deep, right? <laughs> and it's so true. And it's so true. Why? Why do people not share about Jesus? Why is that? Why is that? Afraid of okay, afraid of rejection. What else? Fear. Fear. Yes. What else? What? Yep. Sure, not a Christian. So why, of the 73%, why don't they share their faith? Share about Jesus. Fear, rejection, you know what else? Lack of obedience, Lack of obedience. peer pressure, peer pressure. Judgment. judgment, pastor. Lack of confidence. there you go. We're going to get into that in a second. Okay. You read my notes. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so the question is, is that that's matter of fact? This is one of the biggest areas in our country that we are not walking this out. Matter of fact, it's so big, sharing our faith, that it's like we see a rise in the non-faith numbers. I think about the first disciples, and when when they became Christ followers, they lived in a pagan world, Romans, the Jews, and all these things, but they just were on fire for Christ. And they just went and shared no matter what the case was. They went, when they heard this, go and make disciples, Man, they just walked it out it's like what has happened what has happened now some countries they do that they they really share you know what the number you know what the, the uh, fastest growing um, um, countries are for Christianity okay China's one of them they've been absolutely guess where else huh where Iran Iran, Iran is growing at numbers of what of, of Christianity okay? It's incredible. So the question is, why do they do here? Because all these different things. So here's the thing. Here's a quote from uh, Dietrich Baumhofer. You guys have probably heard of him. Christianity without without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So if we're not out making disciples and then discipling them, that is not Christianity, (laughs) okay? So if somebody says, I identify as a Christian, but yet they're not out sharing Jesus and they're not making disciples and they're not doing discipleship, That's not Christianity. That's actually a club. That's what that is. Okay? And Christianity is not a club. All right? So here's the definition of a disciple. One who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine of another, such such as in the New Testament. That's what's identified as a disciple. Pastor Mark says it's a lifelong learner under discipline. A lifelong learner under discipline. In the New Testament, who knows how many times the word Christian is found? I know the pastors know that. How many times? Guess. The word Christian. Yes, three times. Acts eleven twenty six talks about it. Talk about they were first called the disciples of Antioch. Acts twenty six twenty eight. Agrippa replied to Paul, "In a short time, you uh, in a short time you will persuade persuade. In a short time, you're trying to persuade me to be a Christian." 1 Peter four sixteen. You suffer as a Christian, okay? That's a fact, matter if you're walking out, for sure. But here's the thing is, is three times it says Christian. In the New Testament, disciple is 300 times. I mean, 300 times. So if we were to ask people, yes, I'm a Christian, 70%, but if you were to ask, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, would that number be lower? It would be lower. You all with me? We good? Okay. All right, so uh, here's the thing is being a disciple and being missional go hand in hand. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ and being a missional goes hand in hand, the great commission. So we have to have that, that mindset. Being missional includes embracing the posture, the thinking, the behaviors, and the practice of a missionary in order to reach others with the message of the gospel to make disciples. That's what we do. And Jesus gathered his disciples. Man, he had a great team of 12. He had more that were following, more people that were coming, walking in this life. He sends them on mission trips, getting prepared. And it's it's crazy how uh, that team was amazing what they did. And sometimes I'll tell people, talk about this, uh, hey, have you shared your faith? Well, Pastor Mike, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my job. Some people say, I don't have that gift. I'm not 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 an evangelist. And I have to go back and tell them this verse because it's in Ephesians 4.11. It's what Paul said. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Listen, for what reason? Because there are people that are evangelists. We have some in the church, and this is what they do. They do share the gospel, but this, this is the answer right here, verse 12, to equip Jesus' people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So when someone says to me, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have to go share my faith. I say, listen, no, we're all supposed to evangelize. An evangelist's role is to equip and teach the saints to, to for acts of service, to prepare them for acts of service, to build up the body. So that's what an evangelist's role is supposed to do. We have him in at, at, uh, Melbourne. We have one person, Steve's age. He's an evangelist. That's his gift. He goes out and evangelizes, but he also teaches about evangelism. See, that's what they're supposed to do. So, so Jesus assembles this team. He's got his 12. He's got, uh, he's, you know, fantastic leader. He's got others as well. And so we're going to look at three sets of verses, and I want you to pick out, as we, as we read them, I want you to pick out something out of these verses, what stand out, okay? Acts 9-2, he says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform he- healing, So that was one thing he, okay. There's many other verses with this, by the way. Luke 10:1, it says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of them to every city and place where he himself was going to come. Luke 22:35, he said to them, When I sent you out with money belt, without a money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they answered, No, nothing. What is the one word? That stands out in every single one of those verses. Sent, sent. Yes, sent. Adam underlined, sent. And here's the thing is, is that we are sent people. That's what we are. We are sent people. I didn't put this one up, but Luke 10.3, Jesus says, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Is that true today or what? But I'm sending you out as as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's so true. And in John 20, 21, he says, and Jesus said, peace be with you. This is uh, when he, after he resurrected, he's with them. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What is Jesus sending us out to do? To make what? Make disciples. Matter of fact, there's many other verses that talks about Jesus sending, okay? But we have to look at ourselves that we are sent people. That's what we are. We are sent people. And we are to go and proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. You know, and and so the thing is, is you know, what what does that really cost you to do? How much does that cost you? What does it cost you to go and share about Jesus? Your time, it'll cost you your time. Here's the thing is, being mission requires being intentional and sacrificial. Was Jesus intentional? When we read about these early believers, were they intentional? When we read about these early believers, did they sacrifice? Did our Lord and Savior sacrifice? You know, I I think about that, and I think about how we're in this world, and sometimes the world kind of squeezes us in to try to mold us into the world. And, and Paul was really really good about Romans 1, 1, 12, 1 and 2, okay? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, okay, by the renewing of your mind, all right? So you know what's good and what's pleasing. And this is the thing is that we have to be careful as leaders, especially that we're not conforming to the world, but we're actually getting transformed. Because none of us arrive, by the way. I've missed it at times. The Holy Spirit's nudged me, and I've missed talking to somebody and I had to repent, and it happens, it does, but here's the thing is, we want to be intentional about it, okay? We want to be intentional about it. So here's the thing is that as we're intentional, we're, we're, we're being uh, uh, sacrificial with our time, we're being intentional with our time. And what happens is when we get in that mode and we start to say, okay, in the morning I wake up and I say, okay, Lord, I want to be used by you today. God, I want to be, I want to, I want to share the name of Jesus with somebody, put somebody in front of me. And when we get in that mode, we start doing that, start being intentional, and start sacrificing our time. Okay, we start to do that, we start to do that more often. What really starts to happen is this. If we keep things missional, then the teams we lead or the teams we are leaders on will be missional. I mean, we don't want to be part of any team that's not missional for Jesus Christ. But sometimes it gets like that with some places. It's almost like I come for the fellowship and I just want to be part, you know, I mean, it's, listen, is it great coming here? It's awesome. And we're supposed to come together. We're supposed to gather, encourage one another and all that. Because man, it is difficult out there, okay? I mean, I believe that Jesus says, "Okay, you're going to go out there and share the gospel. You're going to go uh, like lambs and wolves, and you're going to come back to the church, be part of the church, so we can encourage each other. You know, the, the things that have happened. But the other part about it is, when you start to do, when you you know, you share the gospel, when you really share about Jesus, man, exciting things happen. It's exciting to share about Jesus because either somebody's going to say no and they're going to I don't know, spit on your face or whatever, okay, or somebody's going to say what? Yes." I was on a mission trip in Maslow, Mexico. Pastor David, you're on this one. We had Matt Morales with us from from Melbourne, and he was like the co-co-leader. His last name is We call him Coco Morales, okay? So we're down there, and we're on a street somewhere, and we're sharing the gospel in in Maslow, Mexico. And these girls stop, and we're praying, and they're listening, and they say they want to accept Jesus. He was like, what do I do now? (laughs) Because he was like, what? So he led these girls. It's the first time he's did. it he led something to the Lord. He was excited. And we talked about that all night. Just, you know, we pointed them to the church. They get connected and stuff like that. So it's really exciting when we do that. And here's the thing is one of the biggest things that I make sure for myself that when I'm leading the teams that I, that I get the privilege of, of overseeing is number one is I make sure that Jesus is always the foundation, always. Every team that I'm I'm overseeing, I'm part of, Jesus is the foundation. So number one, and that's how I want to live my life. Jesus is the foundation. We know that. Number two, church, it's not up here. I apologize. This is not our home. This is not our home. Don't get comfortable that this is where your home is going to be. Because if I had a, I was going to do a picture up here, but if we were to go to the beach and we were going to look down the beach, and we see all that sand on the beach. How many specks of sand are on the beach? You can't count. It's countless. That's eternity. We pick up one little speck. One. That's our life here. Compared to eternity, it's a speck of sand. Can you imagine forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever? It's like a speck of sand. And this is not our home. I know Pastor Mark talks about using our time wisely. We do for sure. Use our time wisely. Number three is this. For myself and the teams that I get to oversee is that I always have a theme that we're on mission. We're on mission. So I talk about Jesus, the foundation. Everything about that, sometimes I'll teach about that with them. This is not our home. At some point I may teach them something like that, especially the teams that I, that I, the leadership teams. And also we're on mission. To stay with really focused that we're on mission. So individually, as leaders, we need to be missional-minded. And to be missional-minded, what it means is this. It means that we are going to be this next slide. Missional-minded leaders have a heart to be doers of the word. You have your Bibles, turn into James 1. James 1. Okay, let's go there. By the way, I was on the phone with your pastor, Pastor David, last week and we're talking about things, and I don't know, his window's down. Next thing I know, he's talking to somebody, and I'm like, dude, you ain't talking to me? Who are you talking to? He's like, are you all right? Are you all right? Da-da. Next thing I know, he goes, you know Jesus? <laughs> I'm not sure who you're talking to, but I was like, all right, you go, man. <laughs> this is your pastor here. I was like, yeah, go on. If I need to hang up, go to talk to the guy about Jesus. But I thought I was, you know, you know what I'm saying? Being intentional, being a doer of the word, just sharing about Jesus. Who knows? The door opens up, and you get to talk more about Jesus. But James, 12, excuse me, James 1, verses 22 through 25. James 1, 22 through 25. James uh, 1, 22 through 25. That is, James is Jesus' half-brother, okay, first pastor in the Jerusalem church. So, uh, awesome book. If you want to get challenged, read James, okay? It'll definitely challenge you. It's an awesome book. But he says here, in verse 22, But don't just uh, listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away, forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget uh, what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it, so he says here. Listen, be doers of the word; otherwise, it's like you look in the mirror and forget yourself. I don't know I try to forget myself. Okay, all right. Um, I always tell people, listen. People say, "Hey, you're bald." They go, "I don't know that I look. I don't see myself." Okay, so, um, but he says, he says here, uh, you know, you'll be you'll be blessed. And that word, blessed, um, before I listen, to what Jesus said. This is Luke eleven twenty eight. He said. This is a woman that came to him. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, blessed. Anybody here want to be blessed? Okay, I want to be blessed. You are blessed if you are a doer of the word. Now, In James, he talks, it's in between immorality and things like this, but the same blessed word in Greek is the same word that we're going to share up on the screen in a second. It's the same meaning behind it. But this is what blessed means. It's right up here. Can anybody say that word? It's Greek. I don't know. I can't say it, man. I've I've got like ADD, learning disabilities. i got all that stuff, okay? But uh, Mar, Mac. Makarios, thank you. I didn't know your sending knows Greek. That's good. Yeah. But this is the definition, blessed and happy. I mean, this is what the, the translation is on this word blessed, on several of them, it is to be happy. Anybody want to be happy? It's okay to be happy, by the way. We want to be holy and grow in holiness, absolutely. But when we're growing in holiness, will we be happy? So we want to be Blessed. And here's the thing is really, it's about these spiritual blessings that we get to have when we're doers of the word. And it helps us for ourselves, obviously, but also when we share the gospel, okay, things start to happen to our lives as well. Here's some spiritual blessings. We get to be more like Christ. Anybody want to be more like Jesus in here? Okay, so we want to be doers of the word and we're blessed. We are growing to be more like Christ. We get to be more like him when we're doers of the word. And we're blessed by that because we get to be more like Jesus. Nothing better than that. Second, we get to be used by the Holy Spirit. That by far is, is incredible. That's a blessing. When the Holy Spirit's leading us and directing us and guiding us, and you go and share with somebody, you talk to them, especially if you give them like a word of knowledge, and they're like, how did you know that? And you know that God's using you. To me, listen, church, that's a blessing. And the last one, get the opportunity to see a person's life changed here and for eternity. That's a blessing. The thing is, how many people are missing out on that? They think like, yes, fear, all the yes, it happens. They, okay. But there's blessings in obedience always with God because we get to be more like Christ. We get to be led by the Holy Spirit. We get the opportunity to see one time I, I had the privilege of leading this lady to the Lord, and, 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 and we talked about it, and she said she was a Christian, and we talked for a while and was blessed one-on-one to talk with her. She accepted Jesus Christ, and she was in tears crying, and, and um, so I began to check on her over time, so, um, and, and she plugged in, getting discipled, and so I, I called her up, and, and I said, hey, I want to check how you're doing. And she goes, this is, man, my life has changed. It's so great. I can't believe that at 84 years old, I gave my life to the Lord. 84. And she was excited to be a Christ follower. She's like, I'm telling my friends, I'm doing like this, I'm doing this. At 84 years old, it's never too late. To me, I was excited at the fact that, thank you, God, I got to be used. And it is a blessing for us to do that. And, man, when you start to step out in faith and you start to really share and talk about Jesus and see, listen, right now, we're at a time right now, it's a great time. It's a terrible time, but it's a great time to share about Jesus. And the thing about it is, as Pastor Mark talked about, you know, 800 people come to the Lord through, TV, you know, through the Internet and all that, and that's fantastic. That's awesome. And I don't know if I shared this last night, but I want to be part of that too. I want to be able to. I want to share and have people come to the Lord. I want to be able to do that. I want to step out in faith and share about Christ. Listen to these disciples, and listen to what they said to Jesus. You know, Jesus always sent out the disciples, right? Prior, and here's the apostles. The apostles gather around Jesus, and this is in Mark six thirty and thirty one. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they've done and taught. See, they gathered around Jesus. They went out on mission. They came back. They're so excited to be with Jesus, and they're like, "Jesus, I got to share with you everything that happened. You got to hear it." They're all. I can imagine. Can you imagine being there? You think they're excited? Like, I want to tell you what happened here. All the things that we saw, all the things that we taught, all the things that happened. And Jesus says to him, and and it says, then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have any chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. Can you imagine being a fly on a wall in that conversation when they walked and left with Jesus, what they were talking about each other? Man, we talked to so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so, man, they accepted the Lord, this person to that, and they're talking like, And folks, this is the church. Listen, that's the team. When your teams are like that, that's what the conversations are like. It's like, hey, I talked to this person. and We accept the Lord. Da, da, da. Well, I talked to this person. Da, da, da. You know, one of our big things on our Men's Tuesday night, we talk about. We have a team on Tuesday night, and we, a lot of guys are starting to come. And we just we're all praying, and and how do we disciple these guys and all that? And we talk about that. We share, pray about them. How do we connect? Get them get them connected in discipleship, and what do we do? It's exciting when you have a team and you're doing that stuff. You're serving the Lord. It's a blessing by far. And these all these these. These teams that Jesus had were excited to do what God called them to do, to be a team on mission, the great commission. Jesus said, verse 19, we read it, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And by the way, that's a lot of good stuff in there, teaching people about Jesus, okay? So... When we make disciples, um, one, one of, uh, by the way, there's a new discipleship thing going to happen coming up in January. You heard Pastor Mark talk about it. Pastor Dave Folkers is working on it. It's a big thing that we're going to do to do one-on-one discipleship. One-on-one discipleship, by the way, is powerful. It is so powerful. Uh, I was thankful when I first started uh, attending Calvary. Um, there was a man in one of the men's Bible studies, because when I showed up there, I was like, they said, who's your name? I'm like, you don't want am I'm, I'm all messed up. This was years and years ago, my name is Mike, I'm just messed up. And are like, oh, you fit in, that's good. So this one guy said, hey, you want to meet with me? And then he spent like months and months and months and months with me, discipling me is what he did. Like he spent time one-on-one-on-one with me. And that totally changed my life, totally changed my life, that one-on-one discipleship. So here's a, here's a kind of a step of a thing that we do here is this. The first thing is when we talk to people about discipleship, we want to make sure they have assurance. We want to make sure that they're, they're saved. So we talk about assurance. If they don't understand it, we explain it to them, and then we ask them about accepting Jesus Christ. If they're already saved and they're, they 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 profess that and they say yeah, the next step is we teach them about the Holy Spirit. When we read this here, everyone that we read about that became a disciple of Jesus Christ, when they got understanding of who He is, the Holy Spirit changed their life. So we. Assurance that we teach about the Holy Spirit. So we have certain things that we talk about. I, I didn't have enough time to put all this stuff on. It's a lot of stuff. We teach him who he is. Um, you know that, that uh, uh, and Pastor Dave will be here, Folks will be here next week to talk about the Holy Spirit. So he'll, he'll kind of share more about that. But we teach him about the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit changed your life? Man, what a great gift from God to give us the Holy Spirit. Next, we talk about relationship. We go and we then teach the next time we sit and talk, we talk about relationship, the relationship with God and the relationship with people, okay, and how that affects. And we walked how to have a relationship with God and what that looks like and how to do that, depending on the Holy Spirit, absolutely. So we teach them that because we're also teaching, listen, if you only love love Jesus this much, you're only going to love people that much. But if you start to love God and know Him more and more and more and more, Guess what happens? You start to love God, people more and more and more and more and more. Matter of fact, in marriage counseling, this is one of the things I talk about with a, with a husband and wife. If you a husband, if you only love Jesus this much, you you know you're gonna. But if you love Jesus like this, man, you're gonna love your wife like that, okay? And wife, the same thing. The next thing is, um, is walk out our salvation. Walk out our salvation. If you notice, it doesn't really stop. That actually continues. Because that never stops for any of us. We're continually walking out our salvation. Fear and trembling, matter of fact, Paul said. And the thing about this walking us out, hopefully by the Holy Spirit step and the relationship step, everything's going well, and they kind of they start to get it. But for some other help, we walk out. Sometimes we have people that have been through some major things in life. And we have ministries, unfortunately, you know, at different campuses, we have different ministries they can connect to to help them with that. But we also walk out individually with them how to walk this out, so things come up. So that's, those are like the four steps. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, good. So that's the what we've been using. Now, in January, this may, you'll see some of these topics here, but there'll be some other things as well for doing one-on-one discipleship. I think there's like 10 different, 10 or 11 different things for one personal discipleship. Well, I'm excited about when that comes out. A lot of pastors worked on it. Pastor Dave Folkers worked on it. It looks really good. Um, and then we're going to really kind of kind of go into discipling each other one-on-one. So next week, Pastor Dave Fulker is going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to touch too much, but I do want to say one thing. God never sends us alone. He always sends us because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we are not alone. We've accepted Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. So we are not alone. Sometimes when I'm talking to people going through things, you know, and they're I can understand where God is. He's this. Listen, God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's in you. So when we're led by the Spirit of God, and we're empowered by the Spirit of God, um, some things tend to happen. And um, when when the disciples, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, in Acts it says tongues of fire, like 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 tongues of fire came upon them, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus already breathed the Holy Spirit in them, but he said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Pastor David. will explain that. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. So I have this acronym that I kind of, I'm just calling call it an acronym. I put it together as this. It's called, it's called CAP, okay? Like you put a cap on. It's like the Holy Spirit come upon you, a cap, all right? Something I kind of came up with. This is what I teach the guys. So a cap comes on, like the Holy Spirit comes upon you when you've got the Holy Spirit upon you and you're filled and you pray and you're asking Him, what tends to happen, the first thing starts to happen, number one, you get confidence because you have confidence in the Lord. Not in yourself, but in confidence in, in the Lord. Pastor David and I and, and Pastor Craig and I were praying back there for the Holy Spirit to come upon us to, you know, to, to teach His Word, okay, and be able to share it um, and, 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 and have the confidence. Jesus had confidence, by the way. Okay, he had confidence. So you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll have confidence. Second thing is, You'll have authority. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's God's authority, but He will give you authority to go and make disciples, to go and share the gospel. You're under God's authority to do that. It's under his authority, but you have that authority from God to go and do that. Okay? The third thing is this you have power. The Holy Spirit will always want to send you out with power. In my quiet time, I've been going through the book of Luke, and I just finished the book of Luke this morning, and what a perfect time for it to to happen. And and in the last verses I read, it says, then uh, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, Jesus, and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, including us, beginning in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're part of that. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. As I end here, church, that's a promise from God. There's over seven thousand promises from God. That is a promise from God that you and I can be clothed from with power from on high. This morning in our uh, admin time, I did a devotion and I shared on this and I said I talked to and I said, hey, some of the ladies were older, some of the guys were older. I said, hey, do you remember the clothes you used to wear as kids? you know, like bell-bottoms. How many had bell-bottoms? Be like, yeah, I had bell-bottoms. One lady said, yeah, the bigger the better. <laughs> she's what she said. And, and, uh, and I said, can you imagine? I had grand animals. remember my grand animals? Okay, anyway. anyway. So, I said, can you imagine if I walked in with big bell-bottoms, a silk shirt, with my shirt undone here, just strutting down? You, you would think I'm weird. Would I be weird or what? You would think you're weird. And I read him that verse, and I said, you know what's, what's weird? If we don't get clothed with power from on high. That's weird. Because as a Christian, we're supposed to be clothed with power from God, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's weird if we don't, because it's a promise. I want that promise daily. In fact, I need that promise. I need that promise sometimes hourly, you know. So here's the thing is is that as leaders, we want to be missional. We want to be missional leaders. We want to be the teams that we're part of be missional. We want to share about uh, Christ ourselves personally. We want to be an example. We want to be intentional. We want to be sacrificial. We want to do these things. And here's the promise that Jesus tells us as we wrap it up here. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's a promise of Jesus Christ. Anybody glad that we have Jesus to the end of the age and for eternity? Amen? Okay. Take a break. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just take a break. God, we just thank you for your word, your truth. Yes, a little bit deep today, but it's so true, God. You have called us. You have commanded us. You have commissioned us, and you have sent us. We are sent people to go and share the gospel, to go share about you, And it is exciting, and it is a blessing to be a doer of your word, and we get the opportunity to see the things that are happening that you do through your work, God, but we get to be used by you. And then, God, to put teams together to be on mission and how we get to talk about the things that you're doing, that's how you put us together in life, God, and to draw everything from you, to be with confidence and authority and power, to be clothed from on high. And so, God, we thank you for everything that you promise in your word, and we love you and praise you. And all his children said... Amen. All right, let's take a five-minute break. Yeah, that was uh, Luke uh, 23, 24, 45 through uh, verse uh, 49. Luke 24, verses 45 through 49.
2: on my heart uh-huh. the parts I don't like hiding. even the parts I try to hide
1: Check one. Okay, come on back in. All right, y'all feeling good? Y'all stretch? Second leg of the tour here tonight, all right? Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to talk to you about accountability and why it is important to have accountability in your life if you are going to be useful for the kingdom of God, whether you're a pastor, a ministry leader, or you take on the form of a responsibility for the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But first, I want you to, I, I, I was thinking about this, and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes And I want you, as as I'm just talking to you, I want you to, to just meditate upon a couple things. The first thing is that Jesus Christ took the nails for you. I want you to just think about that. And then Jesus Christ knows you more than anybody else. Because he's an intimate savior. And as you think about that, as you ponder upon that, then I want you to think about this. Jesus has entrusted his ministry into your hands. You can open your eyes. What was the first thing you thought of when I told you Jesus entrusted his ministry into your hands. What's the first thing that came to your mind? Lord?
2: Afraid I was
1: going to let him down. Pastor Ryan, not worthy. Okay. Anybody else on this side? A lot of responsibility. Yeah. And Sherry? <laughs> Whoops, did you make a mistake <laughs> with a question, big question mark. You, you know what's really cool about Jesus? It, it's not his question mark. And so I want you guys to understand that it is a tremendous privilege to do the work of Jesus Christ. Um, there's, no, there's no position or service unto the Lord that begins with just a. Well, I'm just a door greeter. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a ministry leader. No, Jesus chose you and I to continue the work of the gospel. And when we think of that, our natural response would be, oh, I don't know if I measure up to that, right? Right? But I want you to think about, that's why we need to talk about accountability tonight. I've asked two people in the audience to read a passage. Um, we're going to start with you, Carol. Uh, will you, you can take your mask off because you're 12 foot away. Carol or Heather? We, Heather got it? Okay. Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28, verse 23. 23. It's up on the screen. That's okay. We can read it. My NLT version on the screen says, For God views the ends of the earth and he sees everything under heaven. Can I tell you that if the Holy Spirit is calling you into a leadership role, just know that he knows that he's called you. The calling comes from God, it'll never call, come from us. And that is the crusp and the basis of why we need to take our role seriously um, in, in a position of leadership in the church and and it comes in various names and and we're not into that but I want to I want to say this the minute we invite Christ into our lives all of our actions make an impact on those around us both in and out of the church uh, John read read 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 4 verse 12 or verse 2 Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faith. those who have given a trust so if we are called into leadership then we are entrusted, aren't we? And it says those must prove faithful. Do you know that's probably one of the hardest things to do is to fulfill the commitment of faithfulness at times in the ministry? Sometimes we don't feel faithful in leadership, amen? I'm, I'm talking to leaders in this room, so you can amen. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel that we can fulfill it. But the reason why we need accountability is because of Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse eight through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. It was, e- it was uh, Ecclesiastes chapter four, eight through 12. You've heard that verse before, haven't you? Why do you think Jesus sent disciples out two by two? So they could help each other? What's another reason? Accountability. Yeah, that's why we're gonna talk about accountability. I would not be here tonight if I didn't understand accountability in my life and then make sure that I fall under accountability. When I say accountability, I know you're sitting there going, well, yeah, Pastor David, you report to Pastor Mark. It's not about reporting to your boss. It's not about that. Because I can tell my boss anything he wants to hear. You don't think after 21 years I know what Pastor Mark wants to hear? That's not accountability. That's reporting to your supervisor, correct? No, no, no. Accountability is something completely different. And this is what's going to keep leaders on the rails and fulfill the plan that God has. Now, we're going to talk about this. Many men and women who hold leadership positions in the church are not in an accountability relationship for two reasons. Here they are up on the screen. One, because they do not understand what a true accountability is, a relationship that's accountable. And two because they don't think they need it. And so that's what I'm gonna to try to attempt here in the next several minutes is to try to talk to you about what it is and then convince you that if you are called into leadership, you are called into ministry of whatever sort, you're going to need to be in an accountability relationship. And so what is accountability? Here's the definition. Having an obligation or a willingness to accept responsibility to give an account for your actions and your lifestyle, first of all, before God, and secondly, to one another. Make sense? There is nothing better than to walk above reproach and know that you're above reproach. You know what the most miserable thing can be is when you know that there's something not right in your life and you continue to do it, And you try to hold a position in leadership. That's a very difficult place to be. There's freedom in walking with the Lord. So how do we get there? How do we maintain that above approach position in our lives? Because there's nobody perfect in this room, not even me. And so how do we maintain that to give an account? And that's what we're going to talk about. So... What does it look like? Um, you know, first of all, you know this verse, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's Proverbs 27, 17. Before I tell you what accountability is, let me tell you what it's not, because there's a difference between your normal relationships that you have. So we have work relationships, we have club relationships, sports relationships, Right? And those are all relationships that we're involved in. I'm sure every person here has relationships outside of this church for one reason or another, whether it's relative relationships and so on and so on. homeowner association, you know your neighbors, whatever. But an accountability relationship is completely different than any other relationship that you'll ever experience. Here's what, I'm going to start with you men. Here's what what, uh, an accountability relationship is not, okay? It is not guys getting together and just talking about the latest sports score. That's fun, and we do that in passing at church and razz each other, but it's not for that. It's not guys getting in touch with their inner feelings and in their childhood, okay? It's not raking guys through the crolls. It's simply... It's not just another support group or a Bible study. That has its place and purpose in a believer's life, but that's not what accountability is. That's something you do as what Pastor Mike said, to disciple one another and to grow in the Lord. And it's also not men sitting around, and and I say this because I've been a witness to this in bad circles, it's not men sitting around bashing their wives or talking negative about them, okay? And, And sad to say, it's not that. ladies what accountability is not for you. It's not ladies that come together for the purpose of inviting each other um, for a, a party, a product or a sales party. That's, that's great, that's an income for some, but it's not that. It's not getting together to complain about their husbands or, or the difficulties that they have for their children. There's a place for that, but it's not that. It's not simply getting together um, and, and having coffee or taking your kids to the park. Those are essential. Times and good relationships, but this is not the relationship we're talking about here. What accountability is, leaders must understand that it's, it's in their personal calling into leadership for God's business, they will need to surround themselves, get this, with people who understand, number one, the calling into leadership of, for God's kingdom. So you gotta be in a relationship that people understand that calling. And then the responsibility that all of us have in this room. And there's a big difference because those of you who are pastors and ministry leaders, you experience all those relationships, but do do those relationships all of them understand your personal calling and responsibility to the church and to the people that come? No, they don't. And they're not going to hold you to that standard either, are they? They're just going to know you as a pastor or a women's ministry director or whoever. They're not going to understand that calling. So it's deeper than that. And can I just say, leadership can be lonely. Is that an amen? Pastor Ryan, you ever get lonely at the top? It's a lonely place. It's very lonely. It can be very lonely. And God has not called us to be lonely as leaders. God has called us to be with one another and to edify one another. And so we need to know how to seek a relationship where, We can be transparent with one another, and it can be okay. We can be real, and we can be transparent in leadership, okay? And so what does that look like? Well, it's two men. It's men getting together with men. I don't have to explain that any further, do I? It's women getting together with women for the purpose to share their lives, and here's the key, without concern or betrayal of mistrust you ever been hurt in the church yeah, I heard a few of you groan. yeah you know what if you step into leadership you might as well get used to the fact that you're going to get hurt in the church now what do you do with that hurt do you bottle it up you give it to the Lord who's going to help you pray that through the Lord accountability yeah yeah, because some of you are external. You've got to process that. Others bottle it up. And we're going to talk about what happens when you bottle her up as a leader in a church. Right? We're not meant to do life alone. But that that's putting ourselves in a relationship where it's trusting. So it's two men getting together or two women getting together. It's beyond superficial. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, it's beyond sports, breakfast, or a church function that you serve in. And here's the key. It's brothers and sisters allowing themselves to be challenged in this relationship by one another. It's allowing ourselves to be held to a higher standard than what the world would dictate in all other relationships. Do you understand that? Because nobody's gonna hold Pastor Ryan accountable if he goes out and gets drunk publicly down at whatever that bar is down there on US 1, right? Nothing wrong with that, Pastor Ryan. But I bet you on Sunday morning, those people that are going to come at 9 o'clock to hear you teach live, there's an accountability there. To much is given, much is required into the calling of the ministry. So probably half of you are going to get up and walk out. It's like, I'm out of here. This is too much. Right? But this is good that we have this conversation because God will protect you and God will bless you in a mighty way if you develop these relationships. It's being honest with each other about your struggles and your shortcomings. It's praying together and for each other. And here's the key, it's holding each other accountable to the word of God. So in order to be held accountable to the word of God, we gotta know the word of God. And we're gonna talk about how to pick an accountability person, what does that look like? But man, I wanna talk to you for a minute. I've I've led the men's ministry with Pastor Mike, as he told you last week. And here's the thing. Men, being the independent creatures that we are, the idea of needing to be in a relationship with another man is simply not in our DNA. Can I hear a hoorah? Because we're conquerors. I, I don't need Mike telling me how to do my job or how to do something better. I got it down. That's just the way men think. Ladies, you should amen, because you know that's true with us men. Here's the joke. Do you know, what, you know the real reason why the nation of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years? <laughs> because Moses didn't know how to step aside and ask for directions to the promised land, right? Yeah, and that's men's nature. And so men, you're going to struggle with this. You're, you're going to find it hard to do, because men don't get together to talk and share men to get together to do things. We want to accomplish something. You give us something to build that's relational to us. But along with that, I love day of compassion. You get to know each other. You get you get to you get to build those relationships. And so, guys, it's a little bit different. Ladies, you have more of a tendency um, to be able to be more comfortable with conversations. I see, I watch you guys. It's so easy for you to open up conversations with one another. Um, and, and, you know, some men are like that too. Not all men are like that. Not all women are easy to open up. But I just want to make that disclaimer for men. Now, here's up on the screen. The truth is, here's two factors that keep all of us from developing close relationships. Here they are. Pride and Fear. Pride is self-explanatory. You're a ministry leader. You, you, you know what you know. You don't need anybody's help. You're going to conquer the world. Um, it's a lot of things. There's no room for a prideful leader. Fear, fear is giving over control. Fear is if people, if I really talk about or ask somebody to pray with me over something that's going on at home that I'm embarrassed to talk about, then they would judge me or maybe I'll lose my position in the ministry you get me there's a fear for us to be transparent because the truth is if we become transparent with those in the church around us well then we're going to lose our ministry or we're going to get hurt or we're going to get stepped on or we're going to get judged or they will think that we're not a good leader okay and so I want you to know that those are the two excuses And so when we get into this accountability relationship with other people, it will ultimately require all of us to be one, very vulnerable and transparent, and then number two, that we all will have to admit that we have faults, we have problems, and that can be very uncomfortable for most of us if we're true. Now the Bible Bible is filled with all kinds of examples of relationships. Moses had Aaron, David had Jonathan, Paul had Silas, Timothy had Titus, Mary had her cousin Elizabeth, Jesus had the 12, and he was even in a closer relationship with the three disciples, weren't they? He had a closer relationship with Peter, James, and John. And all of these men and women, God used to do great things to to further his kingdom, but he had them in pairs. They did ministry together. They had vital relationships and accountability with one another. They had accountability to Jesus. He was walking with them, and he observed them. But here's the thing. They recognized the need for each other. Do you remember when, when, um, <clears throat> when uh, David was hiding, and, and he's like, hey, Jonathan, send out a signal. Just shoot that bow and arrow when it's safe, right? What would have happened if he didn't have Jonathan? He'd probably die in that cave he was hiding in, Right? We all need people around us. We need people around us to, to encourage us and to, and to lift us up from time to time as leaders. You know this. You know this. You can't do this alone. Even Jesus, think about this, who was fully God and fully man, recognized the importance of vital relationships. He chose 12. And he didn't choose the 12 most polished, did he? He chose the 12 funky bunch. Yeah, you and I, you and I. And he said, I can do something with that person. But they gotta be willing to understand what relationships are all about and walk together for the next three and a half years with one another, learning from each other and then helping each other. Ministry can have its trials, amen? It can be very difficult at times. It can be very lonely. And leading a ministry will have its seasons of spiritual warfare. It will. I hate to, I, I don't want to, I'd love to tell you something different, but it does have its trials from time to time. When you're spiritually being attacked as a leader, are you going to internalize that? Or are you going to go to a sister who you've developed a ministry with or a relationship with and you're able to say, I have no idea what's going on here but I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray over me. Whatever it is, we need to be able to share with one another. Um, It's it's huge because if you think you can lead a ministry all by yourself, good luck with that. You're going to get worn out. You're going to get what we call burnout in a ministry. And you see many pastors leaving. I just read an article I was sharing with Uh, Pastor David and all the other pastors went out to lunch here in town. And um, I just read an article. i got to send it out to them to read it. One out of five pastors in the next 18 months are walking away from their church and closing it down. Due to COVID and all the stressors, not financially, that was one of the reasons why. But because of the stress, the depression, the state of mind they're in. The, the, the issues they're dealing with with their state mandating certain things. And I wonder, where's the people that are holding their arms up? Where, where are those few men or a man in his congregation that can say, you're not throwing in the towel. You are gonna complete the work that Jesus Christ gave you to do. We're gonna do this together. See, we can't do life alone. We can't do leadership alone. I love this. You know the story of the garden in Gethsemane, one of the most agonizing moments for Jesus other than the cross. You know it. What happened? Jesus said, come to the garden with me and sit here and wait and pray for me. His intentions were, I'm, I'm about to go through something extremely spiritual. Father, you take the cup. No, you take the cup. No, you take the cup. <laughs> can I do anything else but to go to the cross? Is there anything else I can do, Dad? right? He comes back. What happens? They fell asleep on him. They weren't praying. He was a little bit disappointed, right? But I love it. He made the other nine sit here and he drew his three closest men. He says, come a little further with me. Come a little further with me. He was he endeared these men. He knew that he could count on these men to hold his arms up during this, this time. You see up on the screen, we say this around Calvary Chapel quite a bit, don't we? CCM, don't do life alone. How many times have you heard that, right? Here's what I say. Don't do ministry alone. Don't do ministry alone. You're not a single cowboy. Um, So let's talk about, um, go ahead and throw verse, the next slide up, Pastor Craig. Having accountability in your life is voluntary and intentional, I've already said that, right? But here's why. Here's why it has to be intentional. Not because I have to be in that relationship, but because I want to give an account because of my responsibilities given to me. You understand that? So here we go. So you're like, okay, enough. How do I do this? So how do I find an accountability partner? It, it begins with prayer. First thing, it begins with prayer. You need to pray that God is bringing you this person that you're gonna be able to build a relationship with. Someone that you can tell anything eventually down the road. Someone that you can share everything and and be okay with. It's that person and God knows who you need. And so pray that God will reveal to you a few guys or a few ladies or one guy or one lady. And, And so lady, just pray for ladies, men pray for a man that God would reveal that. And it could be somebody that's right underneath your nose. It could be somebody who is in a small group or somebody who's sitting in that third row that you've just noticed, that you've admired, that the Lord's telling you this guy's mature, this gal's mature, she's spiritual, she's spirit-led, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And don't stop praying and open yourself up to be in those relationships. Some of you are already in a relationship and you admire. Here's what you're looking for, to be honest. It's that you, you Obviously, your personalities have to get along together, first of all. Okay, you got to be able to edify one another, right? But here's the other thing. It's someone you respect. Should be somebody you respect. It should be somebody that you can open yourself up to that you know is going to be maybe even more spiritually mature than you. And they're going to keep you held in account because of their love for the Lord. It's going to be somebody that you just look at that person and you go, you know what? The Holy Spirit's all over this guy. I admire this person, I respect this person, and he is who he says he is, or she is who she says she is. She's gonna call me out, be very direct, and be very loving at the same time. It's somebody that you can entrust your grandchild with. It's somebody you can entrust your dog with, whatever. It's somebody you believe and trust that you are gonna be okay with that relationship. It's safe, they got a good reputation. You may be thinking, Pastor David, there's nobody like that in this church. <laughs> No, there is. There is. Begin to pray. God will show you that person. You know, I often, I like being around guys that will tell me stuff I don't want to hear. I know that just sounds funny. But when I've opened my heart and entrusted a, a guy that I'm endearing to, and I trust and love and admire and he's spiritually mature. There was my pastor who trained me up, Sean Barr. He has his own church in Columbia, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. We stopped by and saw him on vacation. But he always taught me this verse, Proverbs 27.6. Write it down, Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what? A good friend will tell you what's wrong with you you're acting weird lately. Something's not right. I can't put my finger on it. Nope, everything's fine. We're good. Bless God. And they know. They just know in the depths and the bones of their spirit, the core of their hearts, something's not right. Something's not right, Carol. Something's not right, Heather. Right? It's that lady that's willing to pursue and know. Okay? That's the kind of relationship we want to be in. So how do we get started? Well, you pray, and then you search, and then you begin to just let that relationship build however you see fit, but it's it's meaningful. Um, go ahead and pull up verse nine for a little time, Pastor Craig, uh, slide number nine. So the goal of accountability, the, what is the goal of accountability once you achieve this, this relationship? Well, here's the goal, to reach your full potential as men and women of God. Honestly, that's the goal. Remember, God put a calling on your life to be a leader. How are you gonna fully reach the potential that God's given you? This is the goal of this accountability relationship, to grow towards Christ-likeness, to have a better family life, because that relationship it covers all areas of your life, not just ministry, but it covers your family life. It covers your marriages. It covers whatever. It, it's keeping you in line. It's, it's to have a, a better family life. It's to be Christ-like husbands, wives, leaders. But here's the important one, the last one, to get stronger in resisting temptation in every area of sin. Remember Amos 3.3, 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. You always hear that verse in the marriage conference but also it takes effect when you're, when you're asking God to give you that accountability person that's willing to, to talk to you. Here's the other thing. If you're already a leader in this church, it's important for you to pick out somebody that you build a relationship with that takes a while to cultivate. There's a trusting thing going on, but you also pick out somebody that's not impressed with who you are or what you do in the church. It's not a yes man and it's not a yes ma'am, right? It's somebody who's not impressed with you. They see you as a Christ follower, and that's it. Not your position, not not the power or influence you have in your position. It's somebody that sees you for who you are, and, and they're not afraid to challenge you. That's who you want as accountability partner. Um, confidentiality gets developed, all that. I'm going to skip forward because of time. Put up... Um, the next slide: Suggestions for initial areas of accountability. How do you get started when you build this relationship of trust? Um, you, you can you can hold account, each other accountable to prayer life. Have you prayed this week? Are you doing your quiet time? Integrity issues that you've shared with them before that you struggle with. How are you doing in that area? Could be spending time with family. Maybe that's a downfall. You're always at church or you're always at work or whatever. Maybe it's laziness, work issues harboring anger and resentment towards somebody. You work with them on that. Maybe it's exercise and dieting. Maybe it's things that they previously shared, their shortcomings, and you hold them in account. How are you doing in that area? What are you doing to make that right? So these areas of accountability will be developed um, as you meet. But here's the thing, every meeting, you should meet once a week, okay? And whether it's Zoom, but back in normal times, you know, it's try to get away from everything. Like take an hour away, meet face to face nobody can lie to your face you're gonna look in their eyes and go (laughs) something's up you know and so it's that it's that thing but every meeting should be without judgment without fear without gossip should be filled with love acceptance patience things that, that that will hold you in account um i'm gonna skip over quite a bit of this i love james chapter five uh the next slide James chapter 5, 15 and 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You know why that verse is so important for a leader? You don't think leaders sin against God? They're human. Thank you, Mary. You're getting it, yeah. We're human, So what do we do with that as a leader? If I keep sinning and no one holds me in account and I don't share that sin with somebody and I ask them to pray me through that and hold me in account to managing that sin and to get control of that sin, okay, I'm not talking a sin that kicks you out of leadership, right? Not that habitual secret sin that you're enslaved to for years, I'm talking about everyday sinning that we do that we don't want to sin against God and we need help, we need prayer. What are you gonna do, go to the pastor? Who wants to go to the pastor and tell him that if you're in leadership? He's your boss, right? Probably not a great idea. We're graceful, we'll pray through, but no, we want somebody that watches you and helps you sin less and helps you rid of that. You gotta have that. You gotta have somebody in your life to do that. Because here's the thing, Numbers chapter 32, remember what it says. I love this verse. You can be sure that your sin will find you out. You want to know when your sins found out? When we hear on the headline news that a pastor stepped down from the church or resigned or was fired, right? And that happens all the time. Or leaders, and I'm not going to name names. I don't believe in in dragging people's sin through the mud. It's humiliating enough to be stepped down from leadership because of sin, but we need to have that. Um, here's what I put. Try to be a leader for God's ministry and continue to sin against him and see just how long he will tolerate it. Our sin will find us out and God will remove us from the ministry. And it's usually a huge surprise to, to everyone because we didn't have someone in our life that held us in account I'm gonna give you some statistics here real quick and then I'm gonna switch it to leadership. Divorce among Christian marriages survey. Hear me out, hear me out. 49% of divorced Christians never attend church. 46% of Christian marriages that ended in divorce attended less than once a year or once a year or less. 46% about twice a year. 42% divorce rate in Christian marriages who attended several times a year, 42% about once a month, 41% divorce rate two or three times a month, 31% divorce rate amongst Christian marriages who attend church every week, once a week, I'm sorry, nearly every week, every other week, 27% who attend church every week, and 28% divorce rate if you attend several times a week. Basically, a Bible study, small group, Wednesday night, weekend, okay? Did you see the percentage go down the more they attended church? The divorce rate amongst Christian churchgoers drops dramatically among those who go weekly. Leaders, what happens when you intentionally schedule a weekly appointment with your accountability partner. What do you think the percent of the numbers of leaders that would still be in ministry today if they had an accountability partner once a week in their life? Staggering statistics, I would would plead. That's my point to all of you. That's how important it is. How many pastors would still be in the ministry today if they had true accountability in their lives. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. You know, that's what I, I, my wish and my hope is for all of you if you choose to go into leadership down the road is that you will complete the work that God has set out for you. Proverbs, two scriptures that I love, write them down. Proverbs 27.9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from earnest counsel. Earnest counsel. You know what that says? Speak the truth. That's your friend. Speak the truth into somebody's life in this relationship. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers much harm. Right? Who are you walking with, leaders? Who are you hanging with? Are they blending in with the world or do you have somebody that can love you enough to hold you in account? Final thoughts. There's no magic formula or technique for developing the kind of relational accountability that we're talking about. It's something that has to be cultivated and developed. And if you've been hurt in the church before, you will struggle to become transparent and trusting again. Be patient. It's not the end of the world if you've been hurt once. You're going to get hurt again in the church but there are people out there that you can develop a a secure, incredible relationship that will be lifelong way beyond your position or leadership in the church, amen? Some of you have that already, and I know that. My encouragement to you tonight is decide in your hearts if God has leadership for you in the future, and then decide that if that happens, that accountability is absolutely necessary for you to finish and accomplish God's will on your life, amen? And then finally, most importantly, pray that God will give you that Holy Spirit-filled accountability partner to you. I want to read to you a letter from a pastor that breaks my heart, and I'm not going to tell you his name. He he uh, planted this church, and it grew to 12,000 people in a southern state. He was asked to leave the church and step down. I'm going to read to you his Memoir looking back at what he could have, should have, would have done that would have avoided this whole situation. Three months after his firing from his job as senior pastor of a popular church in a state, this pastor publicly revealed on Monday the details of his rocky marriage, drinking issues, and other aspects of the double life that led to his exit from the church that he founded 16 years ago. 12,000 people per week attended this guy's church. Acting on what he said was the advice of his counselor, this pastor shared four extremely unwise decisions he made that led to his fall from the pulpit. He said, I was a hypocrite. I preached, you can't do life alone. And then I went out and lived the opposite he said i chose isolation over community isolation is where self-doubt dominated my emotions causing me to believe that i could that i just could not carry the weight anymore and alcohol was necessary for me to make it through another day i hated myself i literally hated myself for doing what i was doing but believe the lie that was just the way things were and there was no way that anything could get any better and no one would understand their pastor's situation. The decision really hurt so bad and I chose alcohol over my wife and my daughter. My wife and I, like so many couples, have faced challenges in our marriage for many years and after a season of walking through these challenges, I became discouraged and instead of asking for help, I began to over-medicate on alcohol. And he goes on and on and on. But he said, get this, I was sick, I was deceived by sin, alcohol, and I was deceived by myself and my own thinking. I justified this by saying I needed to, to take the edge off to help me relax. I couldn't deal with the pressures that the ministry brought. And I'm just skipping down a few things. And here's what he said to the readers. If you're in a bad place, and I mean you are living through hell on earth, my prayer for you is that you would make an immediate decision to tell someone as soon as possible. Whether you're a pastor or a leader in a church, you will never finish the race well unless you become transparent and not prideful. I wish I had someone that I could have been transparent with for I foresee that I would not be writing this letter of regret, sign so and so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your design, your biblical design for leaders begin with you and the disciples. Lord, you sent the disciples out two by two. Lord, accountability was huge in the ministry. Lord, we see several examples throughout Your Word that, well, men held the hands up of leaders when they were weak. They protected. They were transparent, and they were held to the standard of Your law, Lord. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, that if You're putting a calling on their life in leadership, to much is given. Much is required. Lord, I believe that you're you're raising up leaders in this room. Lord, that they sense a calling on their life, and I pray that they'll never forget this teaching of accountability. I pray that you would bring them a man or a woman that is spirit-filled, that they never feel alone in the ministry, and that they value those relationships with people that they trust and who hold them in account Gently and yet directly. Lord, thank you that I wouldn't be sitting here without men like that in my life. Bless them and bless each and everyone who's not here tonight listening to this message. Lord, speak to them. May they not just hear the word, but they be doers of the word tonight. Bless them with that relationship. And may they prosper in the calling of God that you've placed on their lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, "Amen, Amen." All right, it is eight thirty. We're gonna cut off. Any questions about this one? Any questions at all? Nope. Okay. God bless you. Yep. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.